Welcome to the Real Clear Defense Podcast Hot Wash. I'm John Sorensen. As Republican candidates prepare for the debate in Ohio, does the GOP have a China strategy? In a recent piece for the Wall Street Journal, Republican Congressman from Wisconsin Mike Gallagher challenges the candidates and the party to confront, as he puts it, America's greatest geopolitical threat. Real Clear contributor John Waters and guest opinion writer Steve Young speak with Gallagher about developing a clearer strategy to deter China. Hi, Congressman Mike Gallagher. Thanks for joining us on Hot Wash. Happy to be with you. We're joined by Steve Young, a columnist for Real Clear Defense. He's written a timely piece on Xi Jinping, and he'll come in in a second with a question. But we want to start with your latest opinion piece out today in the Wall Street Journal. It's titled, GOP Presidential Candidates Need to Talk About China. Uh, you've written on three big points that you want to frame the Republican debate coming up this week. Tell us why you wrote this piece. Well, it seems to me that for whatever reason, uh, China has not gotten the attention that I think it deserves. In terms of the people who want to be president and their ability to pass the commander in chief test, uh, though I'm not suggesting that the, the election will be decided on foreign policy, I am suggesting that far and away, China, more specifically, the increasing aggression from the Chinese Communist Party is the most important issue they will have to deal with as commander in chief. And therefore, we should be pressing them on their vision for how we deter war in the short, short term and win what I believe is a new Cold War over the long term. Now, this could be a function of the fact that all the Republican candidates share kind of a vague hawkish consensus on China, though it may not be detailed. It could be that the issue of Ukraine is more salient because there's more divisions, or it just could be they don't want to challenge Donald Trump because they fear this is a uh, this is strong territory for him to fight on because he's viewed as as having initiated the shift on China. I don't know. But regardless, I think this needs to take a bigger uh, place in the primary. I know this uh, uh, debate that we're having here in Milwaukee won't be solely focused on foreign policy, but I hope there will at least be a few questions asked on foreign policy. And the final point I make is just as a both a geopolitical and a political matter, um, it's key that whoever the Republican nominee is be able to mount a smart, thoughtful, and, and strong critique of the Biden administration's grand strategy vis-a-vis -vis China. The fundamental problem with which is I think they have prioritized climate change concerns above China, and the administration is thus divided between those who believe we have to cooperate with China on climate change or seeing a revival of diplomatic and economic engagement as a core pillar of our strategy and those who have a more realistic take and recognize that China doesn't care about commitments made at COP27 or really about the environment at all. Okay, we're talking with Congressman Mike Gallagher. He's chairman of the House Select Committee on Strategic Competition between the U.S. and the Chinese Communist Party. I want to bring in Steve Young in a second. But first, the three main points that you attack in this piece, GOP presidential candidates need to talk about China. Uh, the first is media. The second is capital or economic. And the third is military. How did you arrive at these three points? And what's really the focus here? Well, it, this is what I've, uh, you know, in, in about six months or so of the select committee's work, I've come to realize these are these are kind of the, the wedge issues right now, or there are meaningful differences within the Republican Party that I think need to be debated and hopefully uh, resolved. Uh, for example, and I'll go in reverse order, this question of how to rebuild the military in general and the Navy in particular there are dramatically different visions for, for how to do that. There are, there are differences as to whether we need to increase overall spending, how much money you can get off of Pentagon reform. You know, there's the obviously divisive issue about uh, sort of wokeism in the military. But, 
you know, I think it's not enough for prospective commanders in chief to go out there and just say, hey, peace through strength, Reagan, yada, yada, yada. Like we, we want to hear a, a compelling vision for what we're going to do to surge hard power west of the international dateline within the next five years to prevent what could be a catastrophic conflict with China. Uh, the, the fourth Taiwan Strait crisis, in my opinion, and, and Steve's an actual expert. Um, I just play one on TV. Um, it it w- would make the previous three Taiwan Strait crises look like child's play in comparison. It's going to take a heck of a lot of presidential leadership. And I think part of the reason that the Trump administration actually failed to build a 355-ship Navy is that we didn't have that sort of presidential prioritization, that SECDEF prioritization that we had during the Reagan administration, where you had a president that believed in the 600-ship Navy goal, empowered John Lehman and others to do it. So that's that's one thing. The second thing, this question of outbound capital flows is timely because the Biden administration just released an executive order on it. It's well-intentioned. It's a step in the right direction, but it's just rife with loopholes. I mean, that you could drive a, you know, a PLA destroyer through, a, a Liu Yang or a Renhai through. Um, so, uh, and also there are more sort of Wall Street-minded Republicans that don't favor any restrictions on outbound capital flows or simple transparency measures. And then there's more hawkish Republicans, myself included, who think we need to be more aggressive in terms of preventing university endowments and state and local pension funds from investing, in, particularly in CCP, military or military-adjacent technology. And then finally, this issue of TikTok. I mean, this was the preeminent issue in Congress a few months ago, uh, thanks in part to an aggressive lobbying campaign on behalf of TikTok as well as um, some skittishness because the Senate bill attempting to ban or force a ban or sale of TikTok uh, uh, was overly, was broadly drawn and suffered a lot of criticism. It's fallen by the wayside, but we still have to deal with this issue that TikTok is bound up in, which is the lack of regulation for cross-border data flows and the fact that CCP-controlled entities could become the dominant media platforms in America, which would give them a way to influence our elections, influence our sense of national identity and stoke divisions within America. So these were just three issues that I think captured kind of the military component, the ideological component, the economic statecraft component, but also were areas where Republicans on the presidential debate stage don't all agree. And there's going to be meaningful disagreements and where honest people can disagree about complex policy issues. Steve Young, I want to ask you to join the conversation. You've written a piece recently for Real Clear Politics, how Xi Jinping thinks uh, you come at this with some unique knowledge. Uh, what do you think is missing in the conversation right now among GOP presidential hopefuls as it pertains to China? Well, I, w- I would say, John and, and Congressman, um, is missing across the board in our foreign policy elite, which sort of deserves the, the, the contemptuous phrase of the blob. But Mr. Congressman, first, I just want to thank you for your leadership, because I feel very much that we're like back in the 1930s. And the analogy would be we're on we're on the deck of the Titanic and the ship is heading into the ice flows. But you you are sort of at the radar looking out ahead where the where the icebergs might be. And I just want to thank you for that. But if I could pick up on the analogy to the 1930s and to history, first of all, are, is that are the Chinese people our enemy or is it a particular leadership that has a way of thinking? And and I would throw that your way. Jumping forward after World War II, we helped the, the German people after World War II. So who, who should we be worried about in China today, the people or the Communist Party? The Communist Party, and, and thanks for that question, Stephen, the, the kind words. Um, I actually specifically asked Speaker McCarthy before the bill was passed, instantiating my committee, 
to change the name to say Chinese Communist Party to make this point that we don't have a quarrel with the Chinese people. Our quarrel is with the party. This is, in fact, a a party state controlled by a small number of people and increasingly one person and indeed the primary victims of the party's predations uh, and totalitarian oppression are the Chinese people themselves. And the more we remember that, and again, to take a page from Reagan's ideological warfare playbook, and if you examine some of Reagan's speeches, particularly his later stage speeches, his speech at Moscow State, they were brilliant acts of political warfare in which he talked directly to the Russian people. He references Russian literature, Russian history, and sort of subtly creates this divide between the regime and the people. So that's a core point. And it's something we tried to emphasize in everything we've done publicly on the committee, particularly as you face this accusation in modern America, where every progressive thinks that any criticism of the party is tantamount to anti-Asian racism. And so it's critical that we continually reinforce that point. Just one, and I'm sorry to go on here, your 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 point about the the 1930s, you know, I, obviously the interwar period, I think it has a lot of lessons for the present day. At the time, you know, I think the year prior, Congress had tried to outlaw war in the form of the Kellogg-Brand pack, uh, which was naive. Incidentally, the only senator to vote against it was a Wisconsin senator. John Blaine also authored the constitutional amendment outlawing prohibition. So you're welcome for that, America. But it's the same sort of utopianism that routinely infects American foreign policy that, you know, if only we could sort of like join hands in a new multilateral environment, we could transcend the enduring realities of a anarchic international system and we could we could disarm. And I see that popping its head up uh, again today. And in fact, when people object to my phrase new Cold War, I try to tell them that may actually be our best historical analogy in terms of an outcome, because, you know, with the obvious exceptions of the Korean War and the Vietnam War, the Cold War stayed cold and we won. Whereas the, if we we're indeed in a period resembling the early 1930s, that's worse because it could result in world war. And so waging and winning a Cold War is not the worst of all possible universes we face going forward. Congressman, I'd like to, I'd like to ask you to make a comparison between Hitler and Xi Jinping in terms of how we can guess, how can we know what these leaders want to do? Now, as I remember, Hitler put in his book, Mein Kampf, in the 1920s, he outlined everything he wanted to do, where he wanted to take the German people, where he wanted to take Germany and Europe. Do you see any equivalent way, you mentioned political warfare before, do you see any equivalent way we can understand what Xi Jinping is personally deeply committed to so that we can defend ourselves against it? Well, in, in some ways, I think the more apt uh person to have in mind is Stalin, if for no other reason than Xi Jinping himself uh, thinks a lot about Stalin and references Stalin. And, you know, this is a, a, a profoundly Marxist Leninist regime that we're dealing with. Um, uh, and I think a lot of times we try and wish away that fact or, you know, for years we thought, well, they're not really communists, let alone Marxist Leninists. And so um, sometimes I, I have that in mind in terms of what they're trying to do uh, which is to succeed where the Soviet Union failed, right? And this is explicitly what Xi Jinping talked about in his early speeches. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in 2013, when he first took power, he had this speech, I forget in what document it, it came out, when he talked about, you know, why did the Soviet Union collapse? It's an insufficient commitment to ideology, uh, and by extension, insufficient loyalty to the party. And so I think there's a lesson there. If there's a lesson from the interwar period, I think it's it's the enduring 
uh, truth that if you if you want peace, you have to prepare for war. You have to arm yourself. Uh, and I think that's also one of the lessons of the war in Ukraine. It's that deterrence failed in Eastern Europe because we disarmed uh, both over the long term. Europe disarmed and actually made itself economically dependent on Russia. But then in the near term, we pulled all our hard power out of Ukraine. We sent our ships sailing out of the Black Sea. So if our goal is to prevent a war with China, and I think that's a noble goal. Nobody wants to see a, a world war with China, incredibly destructive. Then I think we need to put hard power in Xi Jinping's path, rebuild our Navy, modernize our military, make it more lethal before it's too late. Because my view is that hard men like Xi Jinping can only be deterred by hard power. Soft power, sanctions, it can help, but it has to be built on a foundation of, of a hard power deterrent, a deterrence by denial posture. So I don't know if any of that made sense, but that's my view of things. Congressman Gallagher, you write Republicans on the debate stage Wednesday night should state an alternative grounded in the lessons of recent history, as well as a realistic assessment of how Marxist Leninist regimes respond to appeasement. I think some of the content here is reflected and echoed in a piece by Walter Russell Mead that came out after yours. Again, for our listeners, the column is called GOP Presidential Candidates Need to Talk About China. It comes from Congressman Mike Gallagher. He's chairman of the House Select Committee on Strategic Competition between the U.S. and the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, Congressman, any final words before we close? Well, quickly on this idea of of Marxist-Leninist regimes, um, as I've written in in other places, I, I actually think the Soviet dissident Alexander Solzhenitsyn said it best when he said something to the effect uh, of the very ideology of communism, all of Lenin's teachings are that if you can take it, do so. If you can attack, strike. But if there's a wall, then retreat. The communist leaders respect only firmness and they have contempt for persons who continually give in to them. Perhaps the the more popular way to say that is the the Leninist adage. I never know if these things were actually said by Lenin or it's like when someone attributes something to Alexander the Great or Kissinger, you just never know if like, you know, they actually said it, but it's the old... Uh, Probe with bayonets. If you find steel, you stop. If you find mush, you push. And I think particularly at a time when the Biden administration is reviving this pol- what I call zombie engagement, which is just we're going we're gonna to pause defensive action in order just to sit down and good talk. Good things will happen from sitting down and talk and we'll lower the temperature. I think it's wise to keep those words from Solzhenitsyn uh, in mind. Um, and I think that should provide us a, a path towards a more realistic and ultimately strong foreign policy that leads to peace uh, in the long term. Congressman Mike Gallagher, thanks for your time. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners. Be sure to subscribe and rate the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen. It really helps others discover the program. And let us know what you think about the podcast. Is there a topic or a guest you would like us to talk to? You can follow us on Twitter at HotWashRCD or send us an email with your comments to editors at RealClearDefense.com. In the show notes, you can find a link to sign up to receive The Morning Recon, our daily newsletter summary of defense news. For John Waters and everyone here at Real Clear Defense, I'm John Sorensen.